Have you caught any of the headlines lately? Food bank line stretches back for miles. The coronavirus can reactivate. Grocery store workers beginning to die. Alcohol, tobacco, weed, chocolate consumption on the rise. It gets bleaker and darker and just goes on and on from there. And now here we are on this most special of holidays, isolated in our homes, trying to celebrate the best way we can alone. Feels kind of empty, doesn't it? Well, if it does, then you get a small taste of what that first Easter might have felt like. Can you imagine the headlines from that day? The false Messiah has been crucified. The Savior, he couldn't even save himself. Jesus is dead. Oh, it would have felt so empty. The crowds, they all just kind of self-quarantine off in their homes. Yeah, it was Passover, but... How do you celebrate at a time like that? What do you do to celebrate at a time like that? It would have felt so empty. Hope would have seemed lost. And so we enter this empty scene in Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 35. Listen to Luke's words. He writes, That very day two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about the things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them, and their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to to Simon. Then they told what had happened to them on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. The story starts in such an average way, doesn't it? Just two ordinary guys walking along a road, a road I'm sure they've walked many times before. They didn't really have to think about where they were going. They knew where they were going. They could walk this road in their sleep. So they were deep in conversation trying to discuss 
everything that's just happened. How do you make sense of it all? Who was Jesus anyway? We thought he was a prophet. He did these miracles. Was he just a fraud? Did the religious leaders have it right? Did the chief priests have it right? Were we duped? Was he some kind of charlatan? Who was this guy? And so they're in the middle of this intense conversation And then Jesus joins them, and it's almost as if he sneaks up on them. Their conversation was so intense. But nobody sneaks up on anybody on a road like that. I mean, this is a long seven-mile road where you can look off in any direction and just see for miles. You can see to the horizon. Nobody sneaks up on anybody on a road like that. And all of a sudden, here's Jesus, and he hears these guys talking, here's what they're talking about, and then he inserts himself into the conversation, and he just asks the question, so what's going on? And the guys, they, they freeze in their tracks. I mean, a question like this is just so crazy. And, and why do they freeze? Because they're sad. They're They're sad. You know why they're sad, don't you? you? You felt that just intense pain, something so tragic that just hurts you to your core, and you don't know how to respond. I mean, your life's just been turned upside down. You feel like you've been spun like a top, so dizzy, you don't know which direction is which, and you get a question like that. How do you answer a question like that? Cleopas is sad. His friend is sad. They had thought Jesus was going to be their savior. They had hoped that he was going to be the one. He had done so many powerful things in their presence. But now he's dead. I mean, everybody knew there was something different, something special about Jesus. But was it it all a mirage? They're trying to figure all this out, and they're sad. They're heartbroken. And they get this question. It would almost be like somebody today coming along and saying, hey, so what's this virus that you're talking about? It's ridiculous. It doesn't make sense. And this exasperated Cleopas, he finally responds, are you the only guy in all of Jerusalem who doesn't know what's going on? I mean, what planet are you from anyway? Everybody knows what's happened here. Everybody's been affected by this, by these things. And Jesus says, what things? He pushes in further. And if anybody knows what things, it's Jesus. I mean, all these things have happened to him. He knew what things, and yet he asked them. He pushes in on their pain, on their heartbreak, on their emptiness. And he asked the question, what things? And a dejected Cleopas, he explains, well, the things concerning Jesus... I mean, he he was this miracle worker. He spoke with power from God. And now our religious leaders, our chief priests, they had him crucified. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Did, Did you catch those words? We had hoped. We had hoped he was the one. We had hoped he was the savior of Israel. We had hoped. We don't hope now. I mean, how tragic, how painful, how sad are those words to have had hoped and to have that hope ripped away. And now they're hopeless, hopeless. We had hoped that God would send someone to rescue us from Roman authority. We had hoped that Jesus was the guy. We had hoped that he was the one. We had hoped he would set us free. We had hoped, but we saw that crucifixion. We saw how horrible, how terrible, how horrific that was, how final and brutal his death was. We had hoped, but we don't hope anymore. Everybody in all of Jerusalem knows Jesus is dead. There's no coming back from that. We we thought he was the guy, but, 
It's, there's no coming back from that. It's time to go home. These guys, they even tell Jesus what the women had shared, how the women had got up early that very morning and gone to the tomb and how the tomb was empty and how the women said that they saw angels and that Jesus was alive. And they think, how gullible are these women? Everybody knows Jesus is dead. You don't come back from a death like that. We had hoped that he was the one, but no, we know it's time to go home. Jesus, he responds to these empty men with this most interesting kind of way. These empty men on these long, empty road, he pushes in on their pain and he says, you guys are foolish. How do you not understand that Jesus really is the Messiah? How do you not get it? Are you still so dull? Come on, the women even told you. I mean, what an incredible scene. Jesus walking with these two guys. The guys don't even recognize him. And Jesus pushing in on their pain at every angle, calling them foolish, asking, do you not understand? And then Jesus begins to teach them. He teaches them from Moses and the prophets, all of the Old Testament, the things that pointed to him. And how all the Old Testament pointed to him. I can just imagine Jesus starting in Genesis, going through the text and say, guys, don't you remember at creation? That all of creation was made by the Son of God. He was made by Jesus and for Jesus, both things on earth and things above the earth, things invisible and things visible. He made it all, and he made it all for him. And don't you remember that he had this plan of redemption even before the earth was made? How before the, the foundation of the world... The Lamb of God was slain. Jesus knew, God the Father knew, that humanity would break this relationship with God. That what was there, this perfection, it would be lost, it would be undone. And there was this plan before the foundation of the world, a plan for redemption. And Jesus was the plan. Don't you remember with Noah? Guys, don't you remember how after God flooded the earth, he made a promise to humanity that was sealed with a rainbow, a reminder that God would not deal with people's sin in the same way that he had before. No, this rainbow, it was a ray of sunshine to all people. But to those who can see with eyes of faith, they knew that God, the Son, would come, this peacemaking Savior who would usher in a more wonderful spiritual reality. And guys, don't you remember Abraham? How Abraham was up on that mountain and he was there with his son Isaac and he was set to sacrifice Isaac on the altar. And then God provided a temporary sacrifice. And then now that all of that looks forward to this other son, this son Jesus, who is the ultimate suitable sacrifice for the sin of all humanity and how his death paid for all of our sin fully and finally. Guys, don't you remember? Don't you remember the Hebrews and how they were held in captivity for 400 years in Egypt and how they were instructed to smear the blood of a, of a spotless lamb on their doorposts? So that the angel of death would pass over that house and not take the firstborn son. All of that looked forward to Jesus, the perfect lamb whose blood takes away the sin of the world. His blood takes away the sin from all people, brings people from death to life, from the jaws of sin and delivers them to the promised land. Don't you remember, guys? Don't you remember how Moses came to lead the Israelite children out of slavery? And how now Jesus has come to deliver his people and to lead us out of the bondage of sin and death. 
guys, don't you remember? Don't you remember the crown on David's head and how that crown reminded him and all of Israel of this future eternal kingdom and of an eternal king? Well, now Jesus is that divine son of David. He is the one who will rule and reign rightly forever. He's the one. Don't you remember, guys, how it all pointed to him? Don't you remember the words of the prophets? Don't you remember in Jeremiah how the Lord said that he would write a new covenant on the hearts of his people and how God said, I will be their God and they will be my people. And don't you remember how Isaiah said how surely the Savior of the world would take upon the iniquity of us all, how by his stripes we would be healed. Don't you remember just the other day when Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. Don't you see it all pointed to Jesus? Are you guys still so foolish? Are you still not getting this? I mean, you can believe the words of the women. You can believe the words of Jesus. You can hope again. It seems Cleopas and his friend that they were drawn in to what Jesus was saying. But they weren't ready yet to believe. They hadn't yet connected the dots. And now it's getting late. Uh, that seven-mile journey is about over. They had just flown by. They made it to the village. And it's time to stop. And so it looks like Jesus is going to keep on walking. And the guys, they tell him, hey, Stranger, it's much too late to keep on walking. It's too dangerous to keep on going. You need to stop here. Rest with us. We'll give you something to eat. You don't need to keep on going. Perhaps they wanted to hear a little bit more, more teaching from this strange man who was able to connect all these dots from the Old Testament to now Jesus. And so he stops and they get something to eat. And in those days, when you get something to eat, you would recline at the table And the way you do that, you kind of lean in on your left elbow and your body would be extended away from the table and you'd use your right hand to pick up the food. And Jesus, reclining at the table, you can just imagine, he reaches over with his right hand, grabs a piece of bread, tears it just how he had done with the disciples a few days before. And then he prays. He prays a prayer of blessing over this food. And when they hear Jesus praying, that's when they recognize him. That's when the lights come on. You know, it's interesting. Of all the things that the disciples could have asked Jesus to teach them, they asked Jesus to teach them how to pray. I mean, they'd seen Jesus do so many things. They'd seen Jesus walk on water. They'd seen him heal blind people. They'd seen him raise the dead. They'd seen him feed the 5,000. And of all the things they want to learn from Jesus, they say, Jesus, teach teach us how to pray. We want to be able to pray like you pray. There's something about the way that you talk to the Father with such intimacy and such familiarity. We've never seen anything like this before. We've never heard anything like this before. And so when Jesus is praying to the Father, it's then that perhaps Cleopas and his friend, they kind of peek, peek their eyes open just a little bit and look and say, oh, that's Jesus. It's Jesus. He's the, Jesus has been the one who's been walking with us all along. It really is him. He really is alive. It's Jesus. And then just like that, amazingly, Jesus disappears. The prayer is finished and Jesus isn't there. But these guys, they're so wrapped up in the excitement of the moment. And they ask each other back in conversation, hey, did your heart not just burn within you as he was explaining the scriptures to us? How exciting was that? It really was Jesus. And these two guys, two empty men who traveled this long, empty road, they don't seem so empty anymore. They don't seem so tired anymore. 
anymore, do they? They hop up in that mile, seven mile walk that they just taken. It's as if they run it back in the other direction in the dark. They can't wait to get back and tell the disciples Jesus is alive. We just had this long conversation with him. It's great. He really lives. And they get there running all the way back. And here's the disciples at this house. And these men, Cleopas and his friends, so excited to tell what they have heard and seen. And the disciples say, guess what, guys? Jesus is alive. He's appeared to us. Before they can even tell their story, the disciples are telling them, Jesus is alive. And then Cleopas and his friend, they respond with the words, us too. He, He appeared to us too. We saw him too. We walked along the road. They tell the story. How exciting it is that he came to us too. You know, when Jesus returned... He could have returned to anyone. He could have returned at any time, at any, any kind of place. You know, if it were me, I might have wanted to return in front of all those chief priests and the religious leaders and just kind of rubbed it in their face a little bit and say, look, I'm alive. What are you guys going to do now? I mean, Jesus, he, he could have appeared to some great big sanctuary in Jerusalem with crowds of people and say, look, I'm alive. You can believe. But Jesus doesn't do that. You see, he appeared first to those who had followed him the longest. There's something about Jesus that likes these small, intimate gatherings. You do realize that first Easter celebration, it took place in a home, not in a huge auditorium. It took place at a campsite by the side of the road, not a huge convention center full of people. There's something about Jesus that likes the small and the intimate gatherings. And so right now, Jesus wants to meet with you. He wants to bring back hope where hope's been lost. He wants to bring fullness where there may be emptiness. Because the fact of the matter is, we've all said things that we wish we'd never said. We've all gone places that we never dreamt we'd go. We've all done things that we swore to ourselves we'd never do. And then we find ourselves with this problem. We don't know how to fix it. We don't know how to get it back. And sooner or later, we come to the realization that we can't. That there has been this hope that's been lost. There's been this goodness that we've distorted. And what do we do? Well, we can't do anything. But Jesus Christ has provided the ultimate vaccine for humanity's sin problem. This is the story of Easter, that Jesus died on the cross for our sin, that all those Old Testament prophecies, how it foreshadowed this coming Savior who would liberate us from sin and death, that all of that was really true, that Jesus really did take on the iniquity of us all, that by his stripes we really can be healed, we can be brought back to fullness, brought back to a life of meaning and purpose and hope. We can be free to dream again, to live again. And if you want a relationship with Jesus, but you're just not sure how, you don't know what a relationship with Jesus looks like. How does that impact your daily living? What what does this all mean anyway? Well, then we'd love for you just to send us an email, send us a message, let us know, and we'll have someone who can talk to you and kind of walk this road with you a little bit so that you can walk with Jesus. You know, there's another reason, I think, why Jesus likes the small and the intimate gatherings. Perhaps it's because in a small setting, you can impact people at such a deeper level. You know, if Jesus would have appeared to some large gathering and just said, hey, look, I'm alive. It might have changed their lives for that generation. It might have impacted them. Maybe it even lasted one more generation and impacted their kids. But large gatherings tend to burn out quickly. 
Instead, Jesus, he launched this disciple-making movement, which would produce exponential growth throughout the generations. He just began with 12. He begins with this small group of guys. See, if you have a relationship with Jesus, you know that you're commanded to make disciples. That You have this awesome privilege. You get to walk along the empty roads of life with people and bring them fullness. You, you get to enter areas of hopelessness and bring hope because you're leading people to Jesus. You're making disciples. You're teaching them how to live the Jesus life and how Jesus impacts every choice we make, everything we think about, everything we do, and he impacts it all for the better. He brings hope. He brings joy. He brings life and fullness. It's so good. See, if you have a relationship with Jesus but you aren't actively living the Jesus life, if you aren't actively and intentionally making disciples, well, then you're missing out the purpose of your salvation, why you've been saved, why he's walking this road with you. And maybe you're saying, well, I just don't know how. I I don't know what to do. No one's ever done that for me. Well, then I encourage you, please email us. Give us a call. We'd love to be able to walk through with you and share with you, hey, this is how you make disciples. This is how you impact people where you live, work, study, and play. This is what you do. I mean, can you imagine what Jesus would say to a people who just quarantine themselves behind the walls of a church building and who don't actually go out and make disciples? Is that the life that he's called us to? What would he say about that? See, he's dreamt so much more for us. He wants so much more for us. Jesus, he didn't come to redeem an institution. Jesus, he didn't come to redeem a building. He came to redeem people. And so you look at the early church and where they met. In Acts, it says they met in people's homes. In the church in Troas, it says they met in an upper room. In James, it says they just had this meeting place. There's not a whole lot of emphasis on where the church met. The emphasis is on the people. In fact, Stephen even explained to the Jews that God does not dwell in temples made by human hands. God dwells in the hearts of of his people. He dwells with you right now. He's dwelling with me right now as I'm speaking to you. This is where God lives. And yeah, we're commanded to be together and it's good to gather together so that we can be strengthened again for the work that we're commissioned to do, to go out to the empty roads of life and to make disciples. You know, there's something about walking with Jesus that is so fulfilling and so exciting because he gives us this adventure-filled, action-packed life of meeting people and interacting with them and discipling them to look and live like Jesus. And so as we walk with him, he gives us this awesome privilege of sharing Jesus and impacting people. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you would choose us to share Jesus and impact people. God, help us to walk those empty roads of life with empty people and bring them fullness and hope and joy, just like you've done for us. We ask this in the power of Jesus' name. Amen.